Why don't you grab a seat, and we're going to continue with our mini-series on a good PR. All businesses, all celebrities like a bit of good PR. I think the church needs some good PR, so we're doing a mini-series on good PR. This morning, our series uh, title is God's Provision. God's Provision. I want to read to you from Genesis chapter 22. So if you've got a device or a Bible with you, why don't you find that? With me, Genesis chapter 22, we're going to read it up on the screens as well. After these things, God tested Abraham and said to him, Abraham, he replied, here I am. He said, take your son, your only son Isaac, whom you love. Go to the land of Moriah and offer him there as a burnt offering on one of the mountains of which I shall tell you. So Abraham rose early in the morning. He saddled his donkey. He took two of his young men with him and his son, Isaac, and he cut the wood for the burnt offering. He arose and went to the place of which God had told him. On the third day, Abraham lifted up his eyes and saw the place from afar. Then Abraham said to his young men, stay here with the donkey. I and the boy will go over there and worship and we will come again to you. And Abraham took the wood of the burnt offering. He laid it on Isaac, his son. He took in his hand the fire and the knife. And so they went, both of them, together. And Isaac said to his father, to his father Abraham, my father. And he said, here I am, my son. He said, behold, the fire and the wood, but where is the lamb for a burnt offering? Abraham said, God will provide for himself the lamb for a burnt offering, my son. And so they went, both of them together. When they came to the place of which God had told him, Abraham built the altar there. He laid the wood in order. He bound Isaac, his son, and laid him on the altar on top of the wood. And then Abraham reached out his hand. He took the knife to slaughter his son. But the angel of the Lord called to him from heaven and said, Abraham, Abraham. He said, here I am. He said, do not lay your hand on the boy or do anything to him for now I know that you fear God, seeing that you have not withheld your son, your only son, from me. And Abraham lifted up his eyes and looked, and behold, behind him was a ram caught in a thicket by his horns. And Abraham went and took the ram and offered it up as a burnt offering instead of his son. So Abraham called the name of that place, the Lord will provide. In the Hebrew, Jehovah Jireh. And it is said to this day, on the mountain of the Lord, it shall be provided. And the angel of the Lord called to Abraham a second time from heaven and said, By myself I have sworn, because you have not withheld your son, your only son, I will surely bless you. I will surely multiply your offspring as the stars of heaven and as the sand on the seashore. And your offspring shall possess the gate of his enemies. In your offspring shall all the nations of the earth be blessed, because you have obeyed my voice. Let's pray this morning. Father, we thank you for your word. We thank you for the experience of Abraham. We thank you. His experience has so much to speak to our lives, to speak to our own situations. And so, God, we pray, open our eyes cause revelation to come, cause insight to come, help us see everything that's in your heart for us to see in this text and in in this story. God, in this episode, in this experience of Abraham, cause us to see it just as you wish. Amen.
Amen. In 1997, one Sunday morning, Pastor Caesar Castellanos left his church in the city of Bogota from the auditorium where they had met and drove to a restaurant where he planned to have dinner with his family. He drove his wife, his daughter in the front, three daughters in the back. And as they were driving to the restaurant, they pulled up at some traffic lights, a motorbike pulled alongside them with two men on the motorbike. One of the men pulled out a gun and started shooting Pastor Caesar in the front of the car. The bullets were flying everywhere. There was a bullet headed towards Pastor Caesar's center mass on a trajectory towards maybe his heart, maybe lungs, a vital organ. And as he was sat in the car, the bullet deflected from the chunky stainless steel watch that he was wearing that day. The watch was smashed, but it protected his life. If we rewind a few months before those events, I should say Pastor Caesar lived, by the way, For those who don't know the story, he spent, I think, 10 days in intensive care, um, but recovered and still preaches to this day. And uh, uh, some months before the events of that day, Pastor Caesar had been challenged by the Lord about the expensive watch that he used to wear at that time. You see, an older gentleman in the congregation had come into this very expensive uh, timepiece and had offered to sell it to Pastor Caesar He didn't want his own son to inherit it because his son was living a wayward lifestyle and he would just sell the watch to spend on, well, nothing very good. And so he said, but I want to sell it to you, but really just for a token price, just for a token gesture price. So Pastor Caesar bought this watch and discovered that it was worth something like $25,000. It was an incredibly expensive timepiece. And so he confesses he developed a great affection for his watch. He said, I would regularly check the time, not because I thought I was late for an appointment, but just because I enjoyed looking at this jewel on my arm. And in worship one day, in their meeting, Pastor Caesar was worshiping, and the Lord spoke to him about making an offering of this watch. And to cut a long story short, Pastor Caesar was obedient to how God spoke to him, and he gave this watch to an American pastor who was preaching, visiting their church. And to replace the expensive gadget, he bought just a simple, chunky, stainless steel watch. God asked Pastor Caesar to make an offering of a watch. And it was a watch that God used to save his life. When Pastor Caesar reflects on this story, he likens it to the episode in Genesis 22 that we've read about this morning. We're going to read chapter 22, verses 1 and 3 in our lives. There is a time in all our lives when God wants to test us. After these things, God tested Abraham. And he said to him, Abraham, take your son, your only son Isaac, whom you love. Go to the land of Moriah. Offer him there as a burnt offering. After these things. You know, the great preacher Charles Spurgeon identified nine previous tests that Abraham had gone to before this point. After these things, he believes, refers to not just generic events, but the test that Abraham had already endured and passed in his life. Some people don't like the idea of being tested. Uh, Karis, I'm afraid to admit, Karis occasionally dreams about uh, resitting her A-levels. She dreams that she's sitting her A-levels and she hasn't revised and wakes up probably in a cold sweat, I would imagine. Now, I just think that's terribly unfair because, as you can imagine, Karis was a very diligent student. 
She's the kind of girl who would have worked hard all year. She's not the kind of person who would have crammed at the last minute for it. Anyway, the Lord sometimes chooses to test us. The Lord works in further education. The Lord works in further education. He is a ferocious exam invigilator. And there comes a time in our lives when he chooses to test us as he tested Abraham. Abraham passed nine tests before he reached this point. This was the tenth. This was, if you like, the peak test that Abraham reached in his life. And it was a big test for his life. Pastor Clive has a saying, the bigger the battle, the bigger the breakthrough. And you see at the end of this passage we read that that Abraham receives this blessing from God and is firmly established in God's purposes throughout all the generations. The bigger the battle, the bigger the breakthrough. Maybe you feel like you've gone through some tests this week. Maybe you feel like 2017 has been a testing year for you. You're in good company because Abraham went through not one test, two tests, nine tests. The 10th test was the big test. Maybe you feel like this week you've already passed some tests. Maybe you feel like you've passed the keeping your temper in traffic test. Maybe you feel you've passed the not gossiping about your colleagues test. Maybe you feel you've passed the staying focused on the work you're meant to be doing and not getting distracted test. Maybe you've passed the not wasting time on Facebook, Instagram, YouTube, and Wikipedia test. Maybe you've come to Friday evening and gone, God, I've passed so many tests this week. The pattern of Abraham's life is if you've passed some small tests, it probably means there's a big test just around the corner. There's a big test. There's the Pastor Clive wants to take a special offering test. There's the, I've got to forgive that person I don't really want to forgive test. There's the, I don't want to take offense with this person who's done something terrible to me, who said something, I'm not going to take offense about what they've said about me test. There's the, I'm going to motivate myself to get to the prayer meeting test. When we pass some small tests, God puts the opportunity to us for some bigger tests. Some of the tests we go through in life, they're like the group stages, You know, and if you do really well in those, then you get elevated into the last 16. Some of the tests are like the skirmishes on the edge of the battlefield. And when we succeed in those tests, God raises us up through the ranks to give us some bigger tests, some bigger opportunities. The principle is lots of small yeses to God make way for a big yes opportunity. Lots of small yeses to God make way for a big yes opportunity. Some people want God to give them a supernatural healing ministry. But if you want the big yes of a supernatural healing ministry, you need to say a small yes to faithfulness in what's in front of you, to discipline in your devotional life, to receiving the input to your character, to being changed in the small things, to honoring your leadership. If you want to, you know, some people say, God, I want a big ministry. I want to win you know, souls. I want to grow a church. I want to lead a city group. Well, you've got to say the small yeses to the things that are in front of you. Some people say, God, I want a big yes in my finances. I want you to break through in my finances. Well, you've got to say the small yeses to the practical things of life, to tithing, to budgeting, to managing your money well, to choosing to spend wisely, to not wasting your money. And then we release the opportunity for the big yes. Mark Batterson is the pastor of a church in Washington, D.C. When they started they, their first Sunday, they had a meeting of eight people. And in their first year, I think the average attendance in their church was 25 
people. And in those early days, their income to the church was around $2,000 a month, largely from outside themselves, supported by other churches that were uh, helping them get established, $2,000 a month. And in those early days, um, Pastor Batterson felt God impressed on his heart a desire to give $50 to foreign missions. And he writes about it. He says, I felt like God should be tapping up someone else to give to us. God, this is the wrong way around. And anyway, God, what difference will 50 bucks make to world missions? But we quickly discovered it makes a 200% difference in God's economy. The giving from our congregation triple the next month. See, over the years, God has grown their church. And last year, he writes that their giving to overseas missions was just over $2 million. $2 million is my kind of yes. $2 million is a big yes. You know, we can receive a $2 million yes, amen? But it started with a small yes. It started with $50 of faith. When you pass some small tests, God puts bigger tests in front of you with bigger potential rewards. So Genesis 22, this is the big test for Abraham. This is the biggie. God's aware exactly of what he's asking. He says, give me your son. And Abraham, just so we're clear, I mean Isaac, your son that you love. That's the son that I want from you. There is no doubt God knows exactly what he's challenging Abraham on in this test. When God tests us, he asks us to give the things we love the most. Maybe Abraham received that word and said, God, God, I don't want to give my son. I'll, 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 I'll fast for you, God. I'll, I'll give up bread. I'll give up meat. God, I'll give up honey. God, I'll sacrifice my racing camel with the go faster stripes. God, I'll sacrifice a hundred goats. God, if, God, don't make, God, if you want me to sacrifice a member of my family, I've got some cousins I don't get on with. I can make some suggestions. I've got a list. But God, not my son. Not my son. Not my Isaac. If it wasn't easy, Sorry, if it was easy, it wouldn't be a test. One of the guys I work with, when, for his last holiday, he went to like a health resort in Thailand. And uh, basically a lot of exercise during the day, uh, exercise classes, clean living, healthy lifestyle, simple food. In the evening, if you behave yourself well enough, you might get a little, like sports massage um, to prep you for the next day of grueling uh, torture slash exercise. And uh, in one of the spinning classes, uh, one of the instructors, who was a local guy from that part of Thailand, came over and asked sort of how he was doing. And my friends were peddling away. And like a good Englishman, he says, no pain, no gain. And so the instructor, well, that was a mistake. So every time the instructor saw him in any one of the classes, you know, kind of said, Ah, no pain, no gain. Come on, you. And motivated him with no pain, no gain. Well, it was only at the end of the second week that he discovered the, uh, the instructor had been asking around amongst the other guests, what does this mean, no pain, no gain? He didn't know what it meant. All he knew was it motivated the English guy. So he was just quoting that left, right, and center. Now, I can guarantee you, if you want to follow God, you will sharp learn what no pain, no gain means. <laughs> in the kingdom of God. Because with God, he tests us. But that implies there is a gain at the end of it all. There's a gain. God doesn't test us to take stuff from us. 
God tests us to take us to another level in him. He doesn't want to take stuff from us. He wants to take us onwards. I've shared before the experience that Karis and I had uh, in this area of being tested by God. In March 2016, I, uh, I was paid a good bonus, a decent bonus from my work. And, and in my heart, that bonus was dedicated towards um, but moving into a bigger house, or a house with bigger bedrooms for our children who just continue to grow. We keep feeding them, they keep growing. I mean, it's just one of those things. But one evening, the Lord challenged me about that bonus to make an offering. And because I'm less spiritual and less obedient than Abraham, I procrastinated and I didn't talk to anybody about it for two weeks. I didn't even tell Karis about it for two weeks because I thought that she would take God's side in the debate. <laughs> and I wasn't willing to have that. Com- two against one just was no fair odds. So I wasn't having that conversation. I wasn't willing to make an offering. You know, that bo- it was my one bonus, my only bonus the bonus that I loved, I wasn't willing to sacrifice that bonus. But after two weeks and some intervention by the Holy Spirit, we passed the test. We made the offering. And within one hour, the lady who cuts my hair told me about the house I live in now. Within one hour, God moved. That house never went on right move. It never went to an estate agent's window. There was no for sale board that went up in the window because God had prepared it for us after we passed the test. The 24 hours later, God brought the finances back into our life to actually do the deal. Supernaturally, he increased those finances 66% for, for, one, for 24 hours investment. That's the kind of insane return on capital that my bank could only dream of. But in God's economy, when we pass the test, he takes us to a different level. You see, when we face the tests in God, we have the opportunity to make a right response. So let's look at the next part of Abraham's experience. So Abraham rose early in the morning. He saddled his donkey. He took two of his young men with him, his son Isaac. He cut the wood for the burnt offering. He arose and he went to the place of which God had told him. On the third day, Abraham lifted up his eyes. He saw the place from afar. And then Abraham said to his young men, stay here with the donkey. I and the boy will go over there and worship and we will come again to you. Now, just as a small aside here, some of you may recall that a few weeks ago when we were looking at the book of Joshua together, Joshua chapter six, the last time I spoke, do you remember what time of day they did their marching around the walls of Jericho early in the morning? And I said, maybe that was a word for somebody in the church this morning. And I just want to draw your attention to the fact that it was early in the morning that Abraham set out with uh, Isaac and the two young men. And, you know, if you didn't receive the nudge last time from the Holy Spirit on that passage, I just want to throw it out there again and remind you that if you don't receive the first nudge from the Holy Spirit, he is more than capable of putting a boot in your alarm clock. So Abraham arose early the next morning and set off. My mum used to say, If you don't have anything nice to say, don't say anything at all. And I think it's insightful that when God and Abraham have this first dialogue, all that Abraham says, if we bring it back up, all that Abraham says is, here I am. God says, I want you to do this thing. Abraham doesn't engage in conversation. He lets his feet do the talking. He just gets on. His first response is immediate obedience. 
I also think it's remarkable that, as far as we know, there was no further conversation between those four men for another three days. Now, some of the ladies are thinking that's about a normal level of word usage for the menfolk. But I think it suggests something that until Abraham had faith rising up inside of him, he didn't say anything. If Sarah and the ladies had been on the journey, I think we'd have had a longer passage of Scripture to read this morning. We'd have had a more chat on the, on the journey. But the men, they didn't have so much chat. And so when Abraham first speaks, he talks about this. He says, I'm hoping we'll get it back up so you can see it, but I and the boy will go over there. We will worship. And we will come again to you. Now, I don't, know, I don't know any Hebrew in reality. I just know how to text Pastor Clive. And so I checked with Pastor Clive. I said, you know, this verse, how do we understand it? Over there, we will worship. I guarantee you the Hebrew is, it's plural. And it's we. He says, we will worship. And it's plural. We will come again to you. Abraham believed in his spirit that we would do it. That he would go with Isaac. And he believed in his spirit that both of them would come back. I don't know if he knew how at that point, but when he spoke, he spoke in faith. It's remarkable as well the way he describes it to the men he's traveling with. He doesn't say, God's asked me to do this terrible thing. He doesn't say, God's asked me to run through this test. But he says, we will worship. That's his response under pressure. He sees the test he's going through as an act of worship. I want to tell you a story about a man who responded well under pressure because on Tuesday coming, the 26th of September, that should mark the 34th anniversary of the end of the world. On 26th of uh, September 1983, this man, Stanislav Petrov, was in a secret bunker just outside Moscow. His job was monitoring the radar screens uh, of, of, of Russia's screening system for intercontinental ballistic nuclear missiles coming over from the USA. That was his job. You can imagine there was a lot of pressure resting on his shoulders. And on the 26th of September, 1983, his radar screen told him there was five nuclear missiles launched from the USA towards Moscow. He should have called high command and ordered a retaliation strike, but he didn't. He should have kept a procedure, and the world as we know it would have ended in nuclear holocaust 34 years ago. But you know what? Petrov ignored the warning and relied on a gut instinct, he described it as, that it was a false alarm. He said, the siren howled, but I just sat there for a few seconds, staring at the red screen with the word launch on it. Instead of triggering World War III, Petrov called in a malfunction in the radar monitoring system, which... I just think it's a great image because in my mind, he calls IT tech support of the Soviet army, da, have you tried switching it off and switching it back on again? <laughs> but, but after 23 minutes, nothing had happened. And he said he knew that if it had been a genuine missile strike, 23 minutes, he, would, he should have been ash at that time. Under unbelievable pressure, out of him rose the right response. Do you know, he received no commendation for his work on that day. It was never recognized. It was about uh, 15 years, I think, until it was, became public knowledge. It was published in the memoirs of another man, a Soviet general. And then he kind of came to be recognized as the man who stopped World War III. 
In fact, the response from the Soviet authorities was to reprimand him for failing to follow correct procedure on that day. Two incredibly different responses to the situation. I wonder what our response is when we're under pressure, when God tests us. What's our response? Hit the red button. God, how dare you test me like this? God, I can't believe you've asked me to make an offering on top of my tithes. God, how can you ask me to forgive that person? Don't you know what they've done to me? God, how can you ask me to let that person off the hook? They've been terrible to me. God, why are you doing this to me? The injustice of it. World War Three between me and the Lord, which, by the way, you're never going to win, so it's just a totally pointless exercise, but it's just one of those things. When God tests us, what is our response under pressure? Because Abraham's response was to see it as an act of worship. And so Abraham and Isaac keep walking up the mountain. We read in verse 7 that Isaac speaks up and he says, Dad, and I kind of imagine the conversation, Dad, if you're a dad here, you know when your mind's on other things and the kids try and get your attention, you're like, hey, Dad, you seem kind of distracted. What's going on? I wonder what it felt like for Abraham in that moment. You know, his heart's breaking, right? God's asked him the impossible thing. Sacrifice his son, his one, his only son. Take him up to the mountain. But in that moment, revelation comes for Abraham's life. How does he convey faith to his son? How does he convey to his son everything? I don't know how it's going to be okay, son, but everything's going to be okay. God's got this one. Faith rises and he speaks to his son. God himself will provide the lamb for the sacrifice. And so they go on, they get to the top of the mountain and Abraham has, even by this point, in in my head, even by this point, Abraham is dragging his feet because God's asked so much of him and he's been faithful three days, he's journeyed with his son and in his heart, he's been grieving for his son for three days. So even by this point, I think Abraham is dragging his feet. And so we read in the scripture, he builds the altar with the wood and he binds his son to the altar and Maybe he steps back and we read that as Abraham lifts up the knife, then the angel of the Lord speaks to him, Abraham, Abraham, now I know that you've passed the test because you didn't withhold your son, your only son, from me at this time. And then the revelation comes in more fullness because Abraham lifts up his eyes and he sees a, a ram caught in a thicket, and some translations make it wonderfully clear. It's not just any old bush if you're into horticulture. It's a thorn bush. There's the ram caught in the thorn bush by its horns, and Abraham sees it, and that's what he makes as a sacrifice. And somehow I can conceive Abraham didn't just raise up his eyes because he, to, to the bushes in a physical sense. He raised up his spiritual vision in a supernatural way. God released a revelation to Abraham to lift up his eyes and see more than just a lamb in a thorn bush because he spoke Jehovah Jireh, the Lord will provide. And to this this day, the mountain is called, the, the mountain where the Lord provides. Jehovah Jireh. He lifted up his eyes in a supernatural way. And in, in my mind's eye, I can see that maybe he didn't just see the lamb in the thorn bush. Maybe at that moment, his eyes were opened in a spiritual way. Jesus says that Abraham saw my day and was glad of it. And I believe that at that moment, he had a fuller revelation of Jesus' day than he'd ever had at other points in his life. And he saw, maybe he saw the vision of a man on the cross. Maybe he saw the vision of a man bound to wood like he had bound his son. To wood. 
Maybe he saw the vision of a man crowned with thorns as he's seen a lamb in a thorn bush crowned with thorns. Maybe he saw the vision of the knife coming up to pierce the side of Jesus in that moment. Maybe that was when his eyes were open. He said, God, what is this vision of a man on a cross that I see before me? What, what are you showing me here, God? And God spoke, Abraham, just as you journeyed for three days with your son, just as in your heart you felt that your son was dead for three days, so my son will be dead for three days. And just as you mourn for three days, all of heaven will mourn the loss of my son. But just as your son was resurrected to you in this time, Abraham, so my son will be resurrected from the dead. And just as you received the revelation, Abraham, that Jehovah Jireh, the Lord provides on the mountain of the Lord, just as you received the revelation, Abraham, so many will receive a revelation that from the cross, from the man on the cross, from the lamb on the cross, provision flows. The Lord provides for his people. And if you can lift your spiritual eyes this morning, then you can see the man on the cross. If you can lift your spiritual eyes this morning, you could see the revelation that Abraham had in that time. Provision doesn't come from earthly sources. Provision comes from a man on a cross. Provision comes from someone strapped on wood. Provision flows. Abraham called it, the Lord will provide. And in verse 14, it says, to this day, it's called the Lord will provide. That to this day, and it speaks to me, the cross doesn't exist in the past. The cross exists in a continuous present. To today, to this day, to this moment, to this Sunday, to this people, to your life, today, the Lord provides. And if you can receive that in your spirit this morning, I want you to stand with me and we're going to pray that the provision of God breaks through into our lives this morning, that we learn to be those who speak out Jehovah Jireh, the Lord provides. And just as every eye is closed, I want you to see what it was like for Abraham at that time. I want you to see what that revelation was to recognize Jesus on the cross. To recognize a man who'd been whipped and bruised and bloody beyond recognition. But from those wounds flowed healing for the whole world. And if somebody here has a need in their body, if somebody here needs physical healing, I've got a word for you. Jehovah Jireh. The Lord will provide for physical healing for your life. If somebody here is in financial need, then I've got a word for you. Jehovah Jireh. Because the Lord... If somebody here has a need for inner healing in their spirit, to change their emotions, to release forgiveness and breakthrough from offense and bitterness, then I've got a word for you this morning. Jehovah Jireh. The Lord will provide out of the flow from the cross. And if you can see if that, if you can receive that, then I want you to stand. I want you to come and join me at the front. I want you to keep this image in your mind. I want you to keep visualizing, believing and declaring, God, I believe right now, the cross is today. To this day, to this day, to this day, it's called the mountain where the Lord provides. I don't know if you understand much about the geography of ancient, uh, of ancient Israel or ancient Jerusalem, but the mountain 
It's the same mountain. It's Mount Moriah, which still exists just outside Jerusalem to this day. God has purpose in His tests. God has such purpose in His testing, but it's, a, it's not just any mountain. It's a mountain where the Lord provided. It's a mountain where the Lord broke through with supernatural provision of the cross into our lives. Just where you are, reach out your arms. Receive the provision that God has for you. From heaven, breaking through to this time, breaking through to this place. Lord, we see out of the cross flows every provision for every need. Out of the cross flows provision for sin, provision for breakthrough in our lives, provision for breakthrough in our minds, provision for breakthrough in our emotions, provision for breakthrough in our healing. God, we receive your breakthrough in this time. We receive your provision in this time. This week, we're going to choose 
when we're faced with the test, when we're faced with a difficult situation, when we're faced with whatever it is in life, we're not going to speak a negative word. We're not going to complain. We're going to confess like Abraham confessed. We're going to speak. We're going to say, Jehovah Jireh, Jehovah Jireh, Jehovah Jireh, on the mountain of the Lord, he will provide. Every sickness met, every need met, Jehovah Jireh.